And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, December 4th, 2020. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you on this Friday, of course. We're talking about the group of players that became free agents this week following the non-tender trade deadline. We speculated on a few names on our Wednesday show, and it wasn't the complete bloodbath that it could have been, but it wasn't a great day for the players. We'll dig into why that is the case over the course of this show. Uh, at some point, we may get to a pretty devastating flip-flop in my pie rankings, but obviously baseball first. I'll say this at the top. I feel like we used our A material before we hit the record button today. We were just kind of getting ready for the show, and um, hopefully the B material is at least listenable. <laughs> How's it going for you guys on this Friday? Well, as you said, I, Way to I, tease it. <laughs> I know. Um, well, according to you, I peaked 10 minutes ago, so I, I don't even know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Here are our leftovers. Yeah. Here are the leftovers. They've been in the fridge for more than a week. No, come on. This will be, be fine. Uh, all right. Well, I want to start with the non-tender stuff because for the most part, it was the types of players that we've seen non-tendered before. I think what made this year's group of players a little bit different is that there were more former first-rounders and guys who were highly regarded prospects who were non-tendered at this deadline than usual. At least it seemed that way. Uh, but the most surprising player of all has to be David Dahl. And it's because David Dahl wasn't projected to earn $8 million or $10 million in 2021. He was going to make less than five. And the Colorado Rockies, who I think have ascended to the top spot in the poorly GM'd franchise rankings, let a guy go for a salary that you would give to a veteran fourth outfielder with no ceiling and minimal floor. Dude, I, I think MLBTR had him down for $2.4 million. No, $2.7 million. That is nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. That's what mediocre backup outfielders get. And this is a guy that I know he's had a lot of injuries in his career. In three <laughs> different seasons, he's been at least 10% better than a league average hitter. But he did something for the team, too. Do you know that he had a choice between removing the spleen? Do you remember this? What? He had a choice between removing the spleen and losing a whole year or having some sort of you know, in between surgery rehab thing that would get him back on the field. And the problem with that was it left him at risk for COVID and left him kind of lesser than other people. Maybe he chose to remove the spleen 
That's it. I think he chose to remove the spleen oh. so he could get back on the field faster instead of trying to sort of rest and rehab his way through it, uh, which would have left him with a spleen. But he took the spleen out to get on the field for the Rockies during the time of COVID and which he was more at risk because the spleen was gone. And the Rockies are like, uh, well, thanks, dude. But, uh, you know, 2.4 million. I don't know. We can't afford it. And the best part is we saw some clubs non-tender players and they're like, oh, we might re-sign them. Not the Rockies. They made it very clear that they know. <laughs> Thanks for taking your spleen out for us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. We'll keep you on our Christmas card list. We're thinking about putting Murphy out there. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jeez. God. That That's a joke because Murphy was a really, really bad outfielder. I, I love him as a person and as a hitter, but I don't know. Uh, uh, one thing I would say, though, uh, that sticks out to me um, from this, there's a lot of things, but I was thinking about uh, the, improving the arbitration process. And one thing that you do see is that there are a lot of terrible defenders on this list. Uh, Eddie Rosario was rated by as above average as like the worst defender in baseball the last couple of years. Kyle Schwarber is bottom 5%. Michael Franco is not good by outs above average. Nomar Mazzara is bo- bottom 10, 5 to 10%. Uh, Travis Shaw doesn't do well by this. Uh, Danny Santana is a terrible defender by outs above average. And all of these guys do uh, a little bit better by UZR and the stuff you'll see on fan graphs. So a lot of times you'll say like, oh, Eddie Rosario was projected for nearly two wins. Well, not if he's the worst defender in baseball. Um, and Kyle Schwarber projected for two and a half wins. Well, not if he's more of a DH. Then that's more of a one and a half win guy. Um, so that was one thing that came to mind and the way that I think I talked a little bit on the last podcast with the way arbitration works, you have non-subject matter experts, former lawyers and judges that are on these, that are arbitrators on these panels. And the, the thing that moves the needle is only precedent. They don't care about would have, could have, or should have, and they don't like advanced metrics. So they want to know how many games did he play? How many RBI? How many home runs did he hit? The most advanced metrics that are allowed into arbitration are leverage index for relievers, just to let them know, hey, this guy was important to his team, even if he didn't get a lot of saves. Um, and to some extent, you can use wins above replacement. But if the def- defensive metrics and wins above replacement are inferior to what teams are using, and they are, then uh, you're going to end up with uh, these players that are not being correctly valued by arbitration. So this is separate, I think, from any financial issues that are going on in baseball or any sort of effort to drive down salaries or even the DH. And we'll talk about that later. I think separate from that is a disconnect in arbitration between how players are valued by teams and how uh, arbitration values them. And that's a problem because it leads to more non-tenders. And this year was only a little bit more non-tenders than last year. But last year was like 20 twice as many as the year before, and this is like a three-year record stretch of non-tenders. So we're coming to a point now, I talked to a couple agents about this, there is some interest in reforming arbitration. And I don't know what form that takes, but one form could be some sort of education uh, to arbitration arbitrators about like, these are the advanced stats. This is what we can use. Um, So please like consider these. Uh, Another one might be, I've heard this, um, from um, Cheryl Ring on, on Fangraphs, um, pay the arbitrators hourly so they don't have to have one hour for arbitration. Every arbitration uh, meeting is one hour long. And so if you wanted to bring an expert uh, and say, okay, Eno Saris is going to come in here and explain as above average, 
if you do that, you lose 10 minutes out of your hour. And every arbitration hearing apparently goes down to the last minute. So nobody wants to do that. But if you were paying your arbitrators by hour, you could say, okay, we're going to do two, two, three hours, whatever it takes. And so then we're going to have some people come in and explain to you what outs above average are so that we can tell you, you know, what, you know, we can have better values uh, for these players. And we won't have these sort of gruesome non-tender deadline situations. And rant. <laughs> I, go, I know. I go back and forth because I think most fans don't care about arbitration or how it works yeah. or how much money these guys are making because it's more than us. So to right. me, the most interesting thing from all that, besides like who's now free agent, was Mike Elias, the Orioles GM, kind of saying the quiet part out loud. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but he basically said, hey, we can't afford we don't really want to pay these guys the salary that they might make. So according to the collective bargain agreement, we're going to just get rid of some of these guys. And obviously they had an interesting day. They traded Jose Iglesias, who was one of their glue guys to the angels for two more players you never heard of. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they, they got rid of um, Anzer Alberto, who was a big name for them, a kind of like a more of a fan favorite. And I think when you look at, these teams and I know the Orioles are going to be good, but is that that mindset to me is just kind of killing baseball. Um, the whole, Hey, yeah, you're going to be dual raise because you had a good season. We don't really think you deserve that. And we don't think anyone else is going to pay you that. So we're going to non-tender you. Um, and that's really what's happening right now. Think about the twins, right? I think they would uh, on some level rather keep Eddie Rosario, you know, like he came up through the twins. He's their guy, right. you know? Um, and Kyle Schwarber is like been a cub for life and yeah. like people love him. Um, but I don't think that you can say, oh, if only they could just offer Kyle Schwarber $4 million and then they could keep him. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. Kyle Schwarber should ask for as much as he can get. I don't understand the problem with Schwarber. They've dealt with his defense in left field for a few seasons. Even his projected number in the eight to $10 million range isn't excessive. We're talking about a guy who's projected Wobas at 352. He's in Paul Goldschmidt, Franmil Reyes, Jock Peterson, Chris Bryant territory in, in that range. Tommy Pham, we talked about, who was tendered. Same kind of Woba, right? So I know you're giving up a lot defensively, but this is a Cubs team that has been woefully inadequate in filling needs, even basic bench needs in recent years. So to think that they're going to take the money they were going to give to Schwarber and go find a better player to take that spot seems laughable. Beyond that, they don't have a prospect at the ready, at least in the case of the Twins, like we talked about on Wednesday, Alex Kirilov is ready. The Cubs don't have an Alex Kirilov ready to play left field. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird. I, I do see in as a as sort of a, an adjacent issue here the DH and the NL as a problem. Um, I know Eddie Rosario plays in the American League, but there might have been more of a trade market if there was a DH in the NL. Kyle Schwarber, I think, I think it's fair to say he might have been kept by the Cubs if they knew they had a DH uh, place to put him. Right? Isn't that the reason Atlanta got rid of Adam Duvall? Because they were like, hey, we don't know if we're gonna. I think Duvall, yeah, Duvall plays d- defense like a d- DH as well. Um, and, but it behooves ownership to wait this out and then say, oh, look, you lost Kyle, like, you know, without a DH in the NL, you lost a Kyle Schwarber job. That was $10 million. So basically the DH in the NL is worth 10 times 15, $150 million. I don't think it's worth $150 million. I don't think the average team will spend $10 million on a DH spot. 
Um, but they, they can use that as leverage and they can say, look at all these non-tenders. You cost these people a job. You, sh- you, you should have DH in the NL. And that $150 million is worth expanded playoffs, which is worth probably more like $300 million or, right. you know, whatever, $200 million to the owners. So they're going to play that fancy math game and try to, like, uh, get uh, the expanded playoffs just for the DH. And I still don't think those things are, are, are equitable. I don't think those are on the same level. DH in the NL does not equal expanded playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's ridiculous as a sport that we're here in December, guys, and we're still arguing what the rules are going to be for a season that could start with spring training in February. I get the players and the owners need to sit down and have this discussion, but this should not be tied to COVID. This should not be tied to when the season starts or salaries for next year or what's going to happen. This is a case where teams are trying to build out their rosters and set their budgets. And like you said, you know, like, how, how do you do that? without knowing what the actual rules are. I mean, it creates a different market for certain guys. Marcelo Zuna is not going to sign until he knows if there's a DH or not, because guess what? If you're his agent, there's 15 more teams that are now interested in your client that now want him um, as a DH rather than a guy who they're going to have to kind of stomach playing the outfield. Next week is going to suck. Tell the people what it is. Tell the tell the people, our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, I, I heard from a free agent that uh, GMs were telling him that they didn't have budgets yet. It is the virtual winter meetings next week, guys. It's supposed to be like the start of the offseason. And yeah, I the Nationals don't have a budget yet. And this is not an unusual thing. Not, it is an unusual thing year to year. This year, yes. It's not unusual across baseball. I would say that most teams don't know their budget. Most GMs don't know their budget yet. I'm surprised that anybody uh, is making signings. Maybe, you know, somebody it is interesting that somebody like the Braves are being aggressive because the Braves have to, their finances have to be sort of open to the public as a as they're yeah. owned by a publicly traded company. So maybe they're just like, maybe they already have their budget because they have to, because their numbers are more see-through and everyone has to, everyone has to be know what they spend and what they bring in. So they're like, screw it. Let's yeah. go get Drew Smiley for 11 million. Screw it. We can't, we can't say we're losing money because they aren't, right? right. Um, yeah. So well, and, and the Mets too, right? I mean, Steve Cohen has money. He just bought the team. So he could spend more than the Wilpons and... That means they're in on everybody for now, but that's kind of the list right now. It's just those two teams that are really actually looking to spend. Obviously, other teams will spend too. I think Toronto comes up a lot as a team that's going to make some sort of impact in free agency. But, I mean, Britt, how do you even begin to start building a team if you don't have a budget? And have you heard anything about a deadline for when this is going to happen or are we weeks away from teams knowing what they're going to spend? So I had an agent tell me that most people feel like by Christmas teams are going to know what's up. Now that doesn't help anyone next week. As you know, was saying like teams are still like, Hey man, like don't call us. We'll call you and we figure it out. Um, Probably a great year to have a virtual winter meetings. Cause what a colossal waste of time walking around the grand old Opry in Nashville. It would be with no one knows what's going on. There's no budgets being set. Um, so I do, I do think hopefully by Christmas, these teams will have a handle on what's going on. Certainly teams are kind of eyeing it like, okay, we think we're going to have fans, but what if we go a month with no fans? What if we go two months with no fans? These are things they're adding up and make no mistake. Like we said, the Braves are making money. These teams are all making money. It just comes down to how much money. How much money do they want to lose in terms of, you know, versus a regular year? So I think that's kind of what the holdup is right now. And then also teams are looking around like, well, 
We do have X amount of money we could probably spend, but if no one else is spending it, why don't we just hang out and wait and see what the rest of the market is doing? That's part of the reason, mm-hmm. too. Agents are a little worried because usually by now, some of the market has been set to some extent. You can kind of tell your guys, oh, you know, wait on this deal, shop this around. Nobody has any clue what's going on. There's really been no market setting. There's been a few deals, and that's about it. Yeah, in terms of like how how this market looks versus the past, one thing I did do was look at all the tender deals and look at them compared to the midpoint of projected arbitration at MLB Trade Rumors. I did find that... Uh, the average deal came in uh, half a million dollars short of their projection. So there is going to be deflation. You know, there's going to be some sort of deflation in the market. Um, and I, I don't know, like, how much you can blame the, you know, baseball for doing that. They just, they obviously lost money this year. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like, yeah, okay. How much they lost can be up for debate. And they, you know, they brought money in. I'm not saying that they, you know, that that we should just take uh, Manfred's number and be like, yeah, they lost, you know, $4 billion or whatever. But, uh, just because COVID was the year was the way it was, they obviously are going to be more, um, you know, conservative and they're going to spend less money. So there's, there's already within the pretender market, uh, some deflation happening. And also that's a good point because remember last winter, they actually did spend money. The winter meetings was a big deal last year. Mm-hmm. People forget, like, it's easy to kick baseball and be like, oh, the winter sucks. Last year was pretty interesting at the winter meetings, especially. Strasburg, Cole, there was a bunch of money. Rendon. Rendon. There was a bunch of money spent last year. So, yeah, of course it's going to go down between COVID and, and the pandemic. Yeah, the Reds were pretty aggressive, I think, before the meetings, too, right? Mm-hmm. And Castellanos was before that. Uh, we saw the White Sox, Ed, Yasmani Grandal pretty early last offseason. So it's a pretty harsh turn from what things were shaping up to be last year. One big difference, we talked about this a while back, Mookie Betts already signing his extension with the Dodgers. That kind of took away the the big, big name, the Garrett Cole type that would have been the megastar sitting out there too. So that pulls away a little bit of the intrigue. Uh, but it was interesting. I was looking at the Ken Rosenthal piece that went up on Friday morning, and it seems like agents and teams are on the same page as far as not really wanting to get tangled up in those arbitration cases because... They both both sides, they both see how ridiculous it is to go in front of three people who are not baseball people and sort out salaries. And they realize it's even more ridiculous and random coming off of a a 60 game season. And in Ken's piece, he just had a few agents basically saying we worked it out and this was really the right way to go about things. It was two players uh, from the twins, Jose Barrios. Uh, and Taylor Rogers, I think their agents were quoted in the piece. The Twins were very aggressive signing pretender deals and not even letting things linger. I mean, Byron Buxton also signed already. So it, he was obviously not a guy who was going to be non-tendered. But just the fact that they don't even want to get close to arbitration with the players they like says something about the current market and the uncertainty of how players are going to be treated for cases that actually make it that far. Interestingly enough, uh, compared to their MLB trade rumors projections, that trio of twins came in on average a million dollars short of what they w- what they were projected to get. Wow! So wow. it actually the numbers uh, got a little bit uh, higher if you kind of just considered mid arbitration guys as opposed to kind of the one million dollar players. Um, there was a bigger difference at the top, and the biggest difference. Award, award, goes to... Drum roll. 
<laughs> Jesus Aguilar uh, came in 1.75 under, and I think he's actually kind of perfect for this discussion because we're talking about NLDH, uh, top of the top of the market deflation. I mean, in fact, he's kind of lucky to have gotten that deal. Yeah, there was definitely some. Hey, good for Jesus! Like when that happened, it was like, oh, we didn't see that coming. But the reason it did happen was he came in at 4.3 instead of the 6.1 he was supposed to get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is going to have ripple effects. You wonder, are guys going to be more willing to sign extensions? You know, I think about a guy like Trey Turner. Like, does he look around? Well, even and Bregman, dude. Bregman took $100 million instead of instead of pushing it. Right. Do you look around and say, like, all right, this isn't going to be right for a while. Um, do teams have a chance to, if they convince ownership to spend, lock some of these guys up? Like, listen, I don't think you're getting Juan Soto on a bargain ever. But some of these other guys that are that are floating around out there, is this the time to kind of look at this and say, okay, I don't want to hit the free agent market next year or I don't want to be arbitration eligible. Look what's happening to these guys. Um, they're taking these pretender deals just so they don't get cut or just so that they they have some salary um, that's guaranteed where they're not just like cut bait in spring training and, and peace out on the rest of your money. So it's a fascinating thing to look at. And I'm wondering what you guys think about relievers because – they're, they're, it's a tough group anyway. It's a tough going to be a reliever. You have one good year, one bad year. It can be tough for bullpens to su- sustain success. They're highly cyclical. Um, a lot of right-handed relievers non-tendered uh, as expected. I'm wondering what you guys think. Like As a reliever, are you going to see these multi-year deals for guys? Or are you going to see a lot of one-year deals? One quick thought. As I looked through the players who were non-tendered this week, I didn't see names that were sticking out to me on the reliever list for the most part as mistakes in terms of how I look at those players and what I think they're able to There's do. One one name. Ch- yeah. There was one surprise also that the Brewers, I think, were going to non-tender Corey Knable. Yes. They ended up trading him to the Dodgers instead and getting a player to be named later, which, you know, who knows what that ends up being. Um, My Archie name Bradley's Archie the big Bradley, name. Yeah. Archie yeah. Bradley, he, yeah. He was down a tick and a half. Right. And you have been talking a lot about velocity and the, some yeah. of the fast movers in free agency, even on short deals, were guys that were throwing harder. Most of the relievers were down in velocity. The most of the non-tendered yeah. relievers were down in velocity. Hansel Robles was down in velocity. Definitely, that was a big deal. When, uh, and I talked to an agent. He said, when you talk to teams, all they care about is stuff. All they talk about is spin rate, movement, and velocity. They do, they, they do not care about your ERA. Which is hard to evaluate in a 60-game season when guys like Max Scherzer, I remember the last start of the year, was like, I finally feel good. From a team's perspective, you'd say it's easier than ERA, though. Because it's like, at least we can, you know, movement and velocity, you know, are usually stable pretty quickly. But you're right. It's good. It's good. It's good to point out that, like, the training wasn't right. The injuries were crazy. You know, all of that. And then, you know, we heard, you know, in our piece coming up, mm-hmm. some some uh, shade thrown at the quality of the major league games, which I that was a <laughs> that was a crazy quote. Yeah, There's some crazy quotes in our piece on Monday. There's some laugh out loud quotes uh, there- in our piece on Monday. <laughs> There really is. So I, it, to me, it's just fascinating. Ever since Brad Hand, like the option kind of got let go, I'm like, all right, what's... You're right, Derek. There weren't too many relievers that you're like, oh my God. But I just wonder like what happens to that market. I do feel bad for relievers who, you know, maybe a year or two could have gotten... There were a time where like Tommy Hunter got a multi-year deal from the Phillies. Remember that? May should have gotten more. Yeah. May would have gotten like three and 30. May, May, May would have maybe gotten twice what he got. Like what does Blake Trainin get? Like what I, I I don't know. It's just an interesting 
It's an interesting dynamic. These are like three for 30 guys, right? These are like that kind of like, they're not quite closers. So they don't get that, like the Chapman deal. But like, remember when the Rockies signed like three three for 30 guys? They get Brian Shaw like three for 30. Yes. I mentioned Tommy (laughs) Hunter because like he got a ridiculous deal too a few years ago from the Phillies that. Really, people, obviously, people didn't were spending pan out on relievers because the because the deals are shorter. It's easier to get out of them. You know, yep. I think that you know relievers. If you take like dollars per war is kind of broken right now, uh, but if you take relievers out, it, it all starts to make a lot more sense. Dollars per war minus relievers is around five million, and if you do dollars per war, not free agents, but across all of baseball, it's like four and a half million. So that that's the number I'm kind of zeroing in on. I think teams want to spend about $5 million a win. And that makes the, uh, makes a lot of these moves make a lot more sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Is war broken in that regard then? I mean, do you have to recalibrate to account for how teams are valuing relievers differently? It's kind of eye-opening that, uh, I mean, leverage index is part of a reliever's war. It does increase their war. Their higher leverage does increase their war. But it is kind of eye-opening to me that leverage index is being used in arbitration um, as a way to kind of value relievers. That means that there's a sort of a separate process for evaluating relievers. Hmm. And... That's sort of how I kind of think about the market. I think if you just separate relievers, things make a lot more sense. Um, I've I've known I've thought I've thought this for a really long time. Just dollars per war for relievers is off the charts. It's like ten million dollars a win, and it's, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, I just I keep thinking back to the surprising Royals teams of five ish years ago, right? And their formula for success was in part playing really good defense, but also having a bullpen that for the last nine to 12 outs was lights out, right? And teams have been trying to really copy that model for the last five years. Is this a direction we're going to see for the foreseeable future where, you know, you you can't easily develop starters that go six and seven innings consistently. That's really hard to do, but you can develop relievers who throw gas and have that second pitch and come out and wipe hitters out three at a time. Like, I, I, I think this is, of, this is what's happening. Yes, this is absolutely what's happening. How long does this go? Where we we have? I mean, Joe Gatto is another example. The guy that just signed with the Rangers. Everyone's like, "Who's that?" Well, his name looks like Joey Gallo, but he's a reliever. <laughs> and one of the things that was posted when he signed, Levi Weaver had a piece about it. It was his workout. I think it was at Driveline in Arizona, and it was like him maxing out his velo at like ninety eight point six, setting a, a new record. Right. So you're just watching this this workout video and you're like, this is what gets relievers in the door now. It's just, yeah. And I think the idea is spend a million dollars on your, on your, on your pitching coordinator, spend a million dollars, spend $2 million on your pitching player development pipeline. 
and they turn out relievers for you. And then be a little bit, maybe even more like the Nationals, where you spend money on starting pitching. Just because it's hard to develop those guys, and once they show something in terms of aging, like a lot of those guys age pretty well. I mean, I, Corbin, the doors, you know, the, the questions uh, still out there, but I think Max Scherzer, that that big deal, Max Scherzer is one of the best deals of all time. Right, right. One well, of the best big deals yes. of all time. He's also a future Hall of Famer, though. Those guys don't grow on trees. But but like but like if you think about some of the big name guys that that, that people spend money on like starting pitching is uh, has I think turned out better than a lot of the other places. Yeah. Like it's not good to spend big money on a reliever. No. You, you kind of want to churn those out with your player development. You do, and then you instead you you go out and you buy starting pitching. That has made more sense for teams so far as I see it. Yeah. Here's the thing with those Royals teams though back in the day that people miss is that a lot of those guys came up through the system. They didn't just go and buy yeah. them. I think that's the danger is trying to buy three or four relievers seems to never work out. A lot of these the reliever Rockies. deals never work out. Um, yeah. And the issue to me <laughs> now, and, and we get into this in our, our piece next week, you know, is that like teams now are getting like 50 guys to throw as hard as they can. If some of them break, some of them break. Some of them are eventually going to get to the top and they're your young relievers until they break. And then you got the next wave right. of young guys. It's become... It's that max max velo idea, yeah. Yeah, it's become a max effort sport, right? Like max effort swinging, max effort pitching. Uh, injuries are rising, and I think part of that is not COVID. Part of that is the max effort force of this game. And people used to lose their jobs because of so many injuries, and that just doesn't really happen anymore. It's like, all right, here's the next wave. And as you pointed out during our playoff show, the, the Rays didn't just have the velo. They had the different looks and the different arm angles. And I think that's the next wave here. It's not, hey, we have four guys who throw 100. It's what do those four guys look like? What angles are they coming yeah. at? I think that's the yeah. next thing as guys become more and more immune to just like that straight upper 90s fastball. Um, you're going to have to give them something more. That is absolutely the next frontier, those different looks that we saw. Uh, let's get to some other topics here. Zahadev Sharma had a story that Len Casper, the TV play-by-play guy for the Cubs, who's been there for 16 years, left the Cubs and is now the lead radio guy for the White Sox. This is the most 2020 announcer story possible. This blew my mind because Len Casper, A, is very good, and in my head... TV is a better, higher-paying gig than radio, and of course, in the way I think about franchises, uh, with no disrespect intended to the White Sox whatsoever, a Cubs job is a bigger job than a White Sox job. What the heck happened here? This doesn't sound like it's related to the way the Cubs are spending money and that you know there was a major dispute over a contract or anything like that. Who knows? Like, it's still pretty early in the, the life of the story, but... I can't really recall seeing anything quite like this before where a very well-known great TV guy in a big market decided to go to a lesser team to do radio. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> I do I, I want to ask you Britain in a second cuz there's I think the Nationals um announcing team there's there was stuff that was happening too like with COVID and I remember you were talking about contracts and stuff and how they how they were treated. Uh, but there's this this tweet that just came down the line from Jordan Bastian. It says, Len Casper says Cubs came to him with an offer that, quote, blew me away, but it only, quote, crystallized the decision for him. It showed him what his priorities were. In this case, the priority was that chase of that dream of moving to radio. Yeah, that's been the undercurrent of the story the entire time is that he that just wanted to be a radio sense. guy. And if it wasn't about money, Len Casper's 50 years old. He's had that seat for 16 years. 
maybe at a certain point, it's one of those moments in your career where you say, I can choose my next job. I can call all the shots. But who wants radio over TV? Well, what is the benefit of radio Here's over the TV? main thing in that story. It says that he wants to call a World Series. Close your eyes, gentlemen. Who's winning a World Series right now first? The White Sox or the Cubs? <laughs> the White Sox look like they're trying a lot harder. Exactly. Yeah. The Cubs look like there could be another 100 years, right? I'm not really sure what they're doing. I personally think they should burn it to the studs, um, start over, get past the Theo era, try to build it back up. Oh, wait a second. That's the difference between radio and TV. Yes, you can call World Series games for yes. your team, right? If you yes. if your team you cover goes to the World Series, you You're lose those games. The They're not locally broadcast. You become the guy. Yeah, TV is done. At you the end become of the, the year, guy. Basically. Yeah. Right. So un- unless you're Joe Buck, or if you get to like the Brian Anderson TBS level, you can call LCS games, right? I mean, you can do that, but you can't call them for your team on TV. Yeah. So he wants to call a World Series. That's the way to do it. Wow, that's the way to do it. And then you know, if if the pay is I mean, I'm sure the White Sox jumped at it. I'm sure they were super excited for this. So that, to me, is the one main advantage with radio is that you don't get kicked out during the postseason. You are still doing that stuff. So That's interesting. You know, and it's a little more stable. Um, I think with TV a lot, they work for the regional, at least from my experience, teams work for the regional networks when they're on TV. Radio is still considered a team employee. Oh, okay. So was there, but there were some shenanigans when it came to nationals announcers and the and COVID and stuff, right? Weren't they like sort of summarily laid off early on or something? Um. So the no, the Masson took the, all paid full salaries to the Orioles and Nationals announcers. The radio guys as team employees took the pay cuts that the, all everyone in the, the oh, team okay. took national wise. Um. But Masson, I mean, there's that big Orioles Nationals. Yeah, war that continues dispute. to rage on and then of course the all the freelancers at all the regional tv networks right that didn't actually have jobs that doesn't normally affect on-air talent though certain people like victor rojas out in anaheim um that are considered not full-time did not make any money during this layoff so mm-hmm. i do think the radio is a little more stable because you're not tied to the rsns so interesting yeah i thought they were all team employees really they're not no um, like for example, the what is that the marquee network, the regional broadcast? Yeah, it's the it's Cubs owned, network. Yeah, right. So like, yes, with the Yankees, like um, Susan Waldman is not a yes employee. She's radio, so she's with the Yankees. But mm. Meredith Markovitz, their sideline reporter, is a yes employee. It's a separate deal. And I do get the sense the TV is a little bit more cutthroat year to year. You know, they yeah. they, they they're more maybe ratings based, and they're just like you know. If they think that the announcer had something to do with ratings going down, like they'll they'll move on pretty quickly. It's also like whoever, um, you know, Kelsey Winger, it's super popular with the Braves in Atlanta with their Fox affiliate let go for no reason. Um, they you could just get a TV exec in there who wants to put their own person on TV, put their own person mm-hmm. in sideline, put their own person in the booth. Um, I think radio is a little um, because it's a team employee because you're part of the team. I think owners kind of see it as you know, a little more of a stable thing. You don't see too much turnover in that radio booth. So uh, this might be a rare case, guys, where it's not like a big drama thing and it's not really right. that big of a it's, money thing. It is what he wanted to do. Yeah. Right. A, a perfect storm where someone was at the right point in their career to just make a decision that few people get to make. You don't get to just pick 
the job you want and <laughs> dictate the terms very often. But you know, kudos to Len Casper. He's great. And man, the White Sox, you're you're spoiled. You got Jason Benetti on TV. Mm-hmm. And now you've got Len Casper on the radio. I'm curious if you guys were choosing between a TV play by play or radio play by play gig, what would you choose and what market would you want to be in? Um I'd actually prefer radio because as a female, I'd I wouldn't have to be on TV. I wouldn't have to worry about doing my hair and makeup every day. This is like totally foreign to you guys. But it's exhausting. No, it's not foreign to me, dude. I hear you 100%. It's exhausting. Um, also, it's, also on one the of hair the, angle, I'm there 100%. That's true. Eno gets it. Um, and then one of the first things you notice on TV is it's not necessarily what you say. It's also how you say it, right? Your mannerisms, um, the way you just... I always enjoyed when I was in Baltimore, I did a lot of radio and I really enjoyed it because it was just... Same thing on the podcast, right? Just what you say. It's not so much how you say it. Um, so I would probably do radio. Um, I think it'd be really cool to call a World Series. So I'm with Len on that. Plus, yeah, you don't get kicked out of the booth. You get to be more of a team employee. Um, I don't, I'm not going to pick a team because all that's going to do is have whoever's listening to this <laughs> affiliated with the Nationals give me a hard time. <laughs> um but I think it'd be really cool. You know what would be really hard, though, and what I would never want to do, but have so, so, so much um, admiration for is hockey. Because that puck is going nonstop. And these guys so hard. these guys know exactly who has it, when and where. And he's like, oh, and then Thornton's got it across the boards. And he goes to here. And you're like, holy hell. Um, yeah, it's really fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really fast base. It's unbelievable. So I, I could never do it. The, I, I agree with a lot of your reasoning, and and I, it's tempting to take radio. But the one thing that uh, that like the spin or the thing that I would do, obviously, if if I was an announcer, and I've and I've actually been able to uh, do it uh, for the A's, and it was amazing, um, is to do kind of more of like a sabermetric type uh, thing, where you're kind of telling story of stats and stuff like that. And I just think the TV uh, allows you to put tables up and you know oh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. like do more things interesting visually where you can kind of either um, you know trace the homer and show the launch angle and exit velocity that sort of stuff or uh, just ex- explain uh, deeper concepts about spin and uh, movement and stuff It'd just be easier to kind of show a clip and be like this is what I'm talking about yeah um, so I think that just the, the medium would speak to me that I would I would like the ability to kind of show people something while I'm talking. Right, we see that executed really well, I think, on the Nerdcast. You know, yeah, the, like, the, like the Benetti, like Mike yeah. Petriello, yeah. yeah, like the alternate feed that ESPN has. Uh, I think hopefully that's the future direction of baseball on TV. I think for me, location is San Diego, and that's not because <laughs> I don't think other places are are worthy of of you know spending time or other teams are good, but living in San Diego when you're not on the road, I mean, that's the dream, right? Being able to uh, just chill there Good as team, much as possible. Too, on the way up, you might be able yeah. to call some big games. I don't have a strong lean radio versus TV. I mean, I have more podcasting and radio experience, so I'd probably be more comfortable there, but not afraid of, of TV if that were uh, a long-term future. That if, if I were calling the shots, if I hit the Len Casper part of my career and I can choose my seat, <laughs> San Diego is the location. <laughs> TV versus radio, I guess I still got to figure that out before uh, that time comes. Probably a long way away from happening if it's <laughs> ever going to happen at all. But uh, 
Yeah, it's all about where you are, right? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, interesting stuff from uh, the Rays. We were waiting for a follow-up on Wander Franco. He had the injury that caused him to leave the Dominican Winter League. Good news there. No structural damage in his arm. I don't think we're going to see him play again this winter, but that puts him on track to be ready for the start of spring training in February. So we, at least for now, avoided the catastrophic injury to the game's best prospect. Uh, but the debates will rage on. You know, is he a major league-ready player? And I know, you know, you uh, were recently looking at some of the underlying numbers for Wander, and they weren't necessarily eye-popping. And I was thinking more about that in the last couple of days. I don't think we've had advanced stats and, and stat cast type numbers and track man data for so long that I want to look at a 19 year old and say, Oh, you know what? The launch angle is not very good. So yeah. sell all the rookie cards as Mike Selfino said, right? Like I, I don't or think we, we or we do in the public, yet. we just don't have, we haven't had access to it. So we haven't done in the public. We haven't done that sort of re- research on how much uh, max AX velo can improve when you fill out and get bigger and, and how much X velocity can improve in the minor league portion of your career. And that sort of deal, how much launch angle can change. Like we, we have done it on the major leagues, but a lot of times major leagues are fully formed dudes. You know, they're like, they're, they're big dudes. There's not as much growing to be done. Um, and so maybe we're looking at one end of the tail, you know, when we do research on, on changes in max exit and, and, and launch angle and stuff like that. We're not, we're not getting the full picture. Like, you know, teams get to get all their minor league stuff. They get, they get, ma- they get max exit and exit from high school and college guys, and they can throw it all into the mix and kind of look at a full picture. So I think that's a good point. It's a good point. And, you know, I did have somebody that's within baseball uh, text me uh, recently that the Rays could have won the World Series if they had only just inserted Wander Franco in the lineup. That seems like a little bit of a stretch. I mean... (laughs) They did have a problem with contact. Was this person Wander Franco? (laughs) (laughs) Or his agent. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. (laughs) That's pretty great, though. I I mean, here's what would make me change my tune on him. 
if the Rays traded him in some kind of blockbuster trade, okay, something they've seen, something's not quite what we expected. That would be the red flag. A very highly regarded prospect getting traded is pretty rare. And usually when we see that, and it's been hard to see the last few years, I think Taylor Trammell getting moved at the last trade deadline. He was one of the only top 50 prospects on anybody's list who was actually dealt. When those players get moved, it's often the beginning of, uh, uh uh-oh, this player's not the player we thought he was going to be, and it plays out over the next couple of years. I'm not saying that about Taylor specifically or anything, but that would be the one thing that would actually cause me to be quick to change my tune with Wander, and I don't think that's happening. I think the Rays are closer Mm. to installing him as a regular in the infield. And they yeah. are trading Wanda Bronco. Or Lau or somebody else to make room, right? There's yeah, there are yeah. so many other ways that can play out. I do want to report uh, on one thing, and you guys were killing me on this on, on Twitter. I have a, a pie flip-flop. It's important. Thanksgiving fallout. Uh, I think pumpkin pie is actually better than baby food. It is actually a good pie when done correctly. And the key, the secret to pumpkin pie is to have like cinnamon crunchy bits along the top. It's like um, oh. kind of like what you put maybe on a top of a cobbler. Keeps something it from like having that. the it keeps it from having the only baby food texture. Yes, yeah. it fixes the texture. The other thing you can do, of course, hand whipped cream, but add bourbon. That Ooh. fixes most things. Okay, add so bourbon. you're drunk and Alcohol don't realize. Alcohol makes everything better. <laughs> Alcohol makes everything better. So it took two legitimate modifications. It took. Crunch being added to the top, like very sweet crunch across the top of the the whipped cream and Mm. bourbon in the whipped cream. And then you had me. You had pumpkin up at a level where if you put it next to a typical apple pie and not an amazing apple pie, I might actually take your souped up pumpkin pie. So I owe pumpkin pie an apology. Uh, there, There was a way to make it good, and I just couldn't see it. I had a flop in the other direction. I had a realization. You talking about how much it was like baby food made me think, gosh, this really is baby food. And uh, my aunt made me a chocolate pie, Mm. um, which is a little bit like chocolate pudding with crusty bits and um, some uh, whipped cream on top. And I realized, hell, if I'm going to eat baby food, I'd rather it be chocolate. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know where I ranked chocolate pie and pumpkin pie in your rankings, but uh chocolate pie is ahead of pumpkin pie for me, right? Yeah. Chocolate pie is ridiculous. I don't know any babies eating chocolate pie. Do you? But it tastes like baby food. I mean it's you know, it's like very Because <laughs> it's, it's pudding. pudding. Yeah. So like yeah, okay. <laughs> is it baby food or is it like food that you feed Toddler to food. feed the food that you feed to like geriatric people who can't chew? I mean, there's yeah, a wide variety right. here. I also had chocolate pie and i did not even eat pumpkin i had apple chocolate and was like i don't need to eat pumpkin i'm already uncomfortably full um (laughs) i will say that the food people got really into this on twitter the food rankings and my favorite comment was the person who was like (laughs) you know i was already laughing (laughs) my favorite comment was the one that was like you know like is great at beer be great at baseball terrible at this you can't be good at everything yeah. <laughs> no there were better ones who is somebody said somebody like that derek derek had been dropped on his head or something yeah yeah derek was like the sacramento kings or something yeah yep. sacramento kings that was the one. they they thought i botched the side draft because i took the sweet potatoes over the stuffing yes. and 
I am going to double down on that. I made the sweet potato casserole this year. It turned out like a dessert, as I said before. <laughs> also had a sweet kind of crunchy topper on it. Sacramento it was King. basically sugared pecans across the top. It was delicious. Better than any mashed potatoes I've ever had. And definitely better than stuffing. Like I And I think stuffing's pretty good when it's done right, as I said before. So... I'm not the Kings. I'm ahead of the curve. I'm not some paste <laughs> eating. I'm not the Rockies. I'm not. I'm not the garbage teams that you guys all make fun of. Like I'm. I'm ahead of the curve. I'm small budget, but I'm ahead of the curve. I don't know. I'm gonna send. Uh, I'm gonna send an anonymous Sacramento Kings to Derek's home for the holidays. <laughs> for the oh, Christmas uh, Christmas food draft. <laughs> uh, are there are there actual Christmas draft. foods like that's? No, uh, we always have lasagna. Is that an Italian thing though? Probably, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. My my wife's family is Filipino Mexican, so they always have enchiladas. Nice. Yeah. And then my German family always has a duck, but none of me in my close family likes ducks, so I just do some sort of um, roast. Yeah, usually oh. roast. Do you guys do potato pancakes? My- you know, is that a German thing? Yeah, uh, my mom did. She never really taught me that. I don't know mm. why. I've I've learned other mom recipes. Oh, she was mad that I didn't include ginger in my soy sauce rosemary um, uh, mustard thing that I gave y'all. But I don't always put ginger in myself. So <laughs> how dare you? Uh... Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. Oh, this is a food podcast now, guys. Tune in. Yes. Bon appetit. <laughs> You can send us your takes on food. Is there a Christmas menu? I think it totally varies by family. I think families just make whatever they like. People out there making ribs for Christmas. I, I think we saw the story. It was it, uh, it was Mark Canna who had uh, ribs, ribs for on, Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think smoking foods for Thanksgiving is the way to go. I think you could smoke a turkey, though, and, you know. Have it both yeah. ways if you really want to. Uh, but share the food takes, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you're going to want one for that piece that Eno and Britt have coming out next week. You sign up for just $1 a month. Best deal of the year still on right now, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It's 80% off for the first year. We don't usually do 80% off. On Twitter, feel free to make fun of us. Uh, he is at Eno Saris. She is at Britt underscore Giroli. I am at Derek Van Riper. Direct all of your scorn towards me. My food takes are the absolute worst. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 